Welcome to the Bridge Church Podcast. Our purpose statement at Bridge Church is to reach people where they are and help them grow. We hope today's message inspires you towards growth, and we pray it's life-changing, and we hope to see you soon. Uh, If you have your Bible, go to Romans chapter 12, Romans chapter 12, if you have your Bible, um, and if you want to look on your uh, Bible app, please go there, Romans chapter 12. All right, and we're going to be looking in verses 3 through about 9, 3 through about 9. All right, now, <clears throat> as we get ready to go there, um, I want to talk about how Jesus had a job, and he left that job to others for him to do. So if you've ever had somebody who left a job and then they did so many different things that there were like three people that had to take up their work, well, we have to look at what Jesus did, right? Now think about Jesus, right? Jesus healed people, amen? Do you, did you ever read about Jesus healing somebody, amen? All right. Jesus encouraged people, right? Jesus taught people and Jesus rebuked people. All right, so Jesus, he healed the cripple, He encouraged the brokenhearted. He rebuked the proud. He taught the disciple. Has anybody read anything like that about Jesus Christ, the one who came from Nazareth? Anybody read anything like that about him? All right, so we're in agreement about the person and the work of Jesus Christ. Well, Jesus did all those things. And one of the things that we can do when we come into a space like this is we can get into the habit of reading about all the miracles, all the works, and all the miraculous things that Jesus did, and we can be in awe of those things, and yet we can lose the incredible task that God has called us to. Jesus, Jesus, the same Jesus I'm talking about, said this. He said in John 14 and 12, truly, truly, I say to you, y'all ready for this? Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do. The same thing I was doing, you will do. And he goes on to say, and greater works he'll do because I go to the Father. Now, if you're reading that right, the scripture says, whoever believes in me will do what I was doing. That means that this scripture is not for pastors. It's not for missionaries. It's not for that very spiritual grandmother in the church that prays and, you know, it's just like she has Jesus in her back pocket. It's not just for her. It's not just for people who have been to seminary. This is for whoever believes. That means that if the work that Jesus was doing that we've read about, if this text is true, that means that God has empowered and imparted a spiritual gift that his ministry would continue. Now, what's the problem? The problem is that we come into spaces like this and we stand in awe of the work that Jesus did and we forget about the work we're called to do. We we treat it like, you know, uh, I played sports and there were people that were so amazing in a sport that they would like, they would would retire their jersey and they would put them up in the rafters and that's what we kind of do. We like lift the Jesus jersey up to the rafters and we talk about all the great, remember that time he turned water into wine? Wow, great job, Jesus. And we're in awe of the miraculous work that Jesus did, right? It's like, man, go Jesus. And so one of the things that we get is we get so in awe 
of memorializing the great works of Jesus and we look at his rafter, his jersey in the rafter, that we don't realize that Jesus is not asking us just to be involved, or rather, in awe of his work. He's saying, get involved in my work. He's actually handing out jerseys for us to join his team so that we would do the work that he was doing. So that would mean that we heal the crippled. That would mean that we encourage the brokenhearted. That would mean that we rebuke the proud. And that would mean that we teach the disciples because it's whosoever believes. And if we're honest today, we're not all in the game. Many of us might be in awe of the works that Jesus has done, but you may have forgotten that Jesus has called you to do a work. And it is not based upon the job description. It is not based upon some kind of college experience. It is not based upon your ethnicity. It is not based upon your background. It is based upon the fact that you believe in the Jesus Christ that died on the cross and rose again from the dead. And he has imparted and empowered you through the Holy Spirit with a gift that he wants you to use. Amen? Now, the scripture we're going to look at is in Romans chapter 12, where he's going to unpack gifts. And he's going to talk about this because the picture he gave in Romans 12.1 was that Jesus was calling us to be a living sacrifice. This is in spite, or this is in light of the fact that he died on the cross for our sins. So in 12.1, we saw, he says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercy of God, present yourselves as a living sacrifice. That would mean this is your motivation to serve. We can't create a sign-up. I can't guilt you. I can't shame you into serving. This is your motivation to serve. When you are aware what Jesus Christ has done for you on the cross, it becomes the catalyst for you to want to help somebody because he helped you in your darkest moment. And every Sunday, one church, two locations, three services, we have people walking in here every Sunday who are hurting, who are proud, who need encouragement, who need healing. And they're not just looking for the professionals. They're looking to us. And the question is, will you join us? Do you see the motivation he's given us in 12.1? That we are a living sacrifice. We've got to start there. That you want to lay your life down as he laid his life down. That's your motivation. A pastor can't motivate you. The cross and the resurrection must be our motivation. It is with this in mind that I want to talk about three keys to unlocking the gifts that God has given you. Three keys to unlocking the gifts that God has given you. And I believe that they're in this text here. Three keys that will get you in the game and will allow you to do all that God has called you to do. It is humility, faith, and love. A lot of people talk about discovering their gifts. A lot of people take gift tests, and that is awesome. I don't think Paul, that was his vision, that we would just, like, figure out the Enneagram, and then that would, and I have no shade, no shade to anybody. But what I'm saying is, I don't know if that, like, once somebody goes, oh, this, I'm, oh, I'm an introvert, and all of a sudden, you automatically know what you're going to call to do. I don't think knowing yourself more is the key to unlocking your gifts. I actually don't think knowing your gift is the key to unlocking your gifts. I believe that the keys to unlocking your gifts are faith, humility, and love. Look here. First, 
um, Paul will continue on in 12.3, and he'll talk about first humility. He says, for by the grace given to me, I say to everyone among you not to think of himself more highly than he ought to think, but to think of themselves with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has given has assigned you. So I want to deal with that in two parts. The first thing I want to talk about is humility because he says not to think of yourself higher than you ought to think. In turn, think with sober judgment. The word sober there is sensible or accurate, rightly, right? And he's saying that one of the first challenges of someone being unleashed and unlocking the gifts that God has given them is they don't think of themselves accurately. They don't see themselves rightly. And there's a good chance they think of themselves far too high. One of the greatest obstacles of you being unlocked and unleashed doing what God has called you to do is do you see you as God sees you? Do you see you as your roommate sees you? Do you see you as other people around you? Do you know you? And there's a good chance you have an altered view of yourself. Now, the aspect of this is really a proud or arrogant heart. That's the big challenge. Now, people who think too highly of themselves, I think that manifests itself in two ways. The first is there are just people who are proud and arrogant. Praise God, amen, and hallelujah. And people who are proud, they are full of themselves. Now, what I say that is if you think about somebody that going to a gas station, right, and you just fill up the gas tank, right? People who think too highly of themselves fill themselves up with thoughts from themselves, they're like, I think, I, this is what I think about myself. And that's what they actually believe. Only things that they have reserved inside of them or only positive thoughts. In other words, they edit out criticism and they fill themselves up with the best highlights ever about themselves and they live off those things. These people can't take criticism. They can't take feedback. So these people think too highly of themselves. But there is another type of pride and that's false humility. Now, false humility is like, uh, it's very interesting. False humility is like a, a person who's like a fake vegan. You know, like if a person was saying, I'm a vegan, but then they like binge steaks at night, you know what I mean? You, so in the same way, false humility, these people act like they're on a diet from compliments. You're like, good job. They're like, oh, I don't, I don't need it. I don't need it. I don't need compliments. I don't need compliments. But in reality, they bathe themselves in what people think about them. They hunger for what people think. They actually pretend like they don't need affirmation and encouragement. Like they don't need anybody to speak into their lives and really bring them up. They don't need help. False people who are fake humble, in reality, they just want to come across like they don't have needs. But the truth is they, they hunger for people's affirmation. Some of us not only think too high of ourselves, some of us think too lowly of ourselves. We struggle with the scene. We don't see ourselves as God sees us. I think Jesus gives us an incredible picture in Luke 18. In Luke 18, do y'all remember the story when Jesus said in Luke 18, he says, indeed, it is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for someone who is rich to enter the kingdom of God. You remember that story? Jesus says that in Luke chapter 18. When he's talking about that, he's actually talking about the wealthy, but he gives us this incredible imagery. He's saying, it's not that wealthy people can't get into the kingdom of God because they have money. 
Wealthy people can't get in because they think of themselves too big. And so the imagery he gives is it's like getting a camel through the eye of a needle. And he's saying that physically just doesn't work because they are too big, right? So you think about how huge a camel is the largest animal in Israel. So when Jesus was thinking, he thought of the biggest animal he could think of. And he's like, and then he thinks of the smallest hole that he can think of. And he's like, can you imagine that? This big animal trying to get through this small hole. The problem isn't money. The problem is how wealthy people think of themselves. The problem is only the humble enter through the kingdom because we're saved by grace. And when you think about the imagery there, a camel, it needs it needs a ton of food to eat. A camel's about 1,000 pounds. It's about six feet tall. It needs tons of food. It needs tons of space. When it, when it walks through things, it needs tons of, tons of room just to walk in. Camels have huge needs. Got to make a lot of space for it. But why is he saying a needle? Why does he use this imagery of a needle when he talks about the kingdom? I think because needles only have threads go through them, and we never just have threads. Threads are used to build sweaters and shirts and pants. Sweaters, or rather, threads are used to make something. They're useful. They're helpful. Threads like, hey, I'm here just to do whatever you want. What do you need? What y'all trying to do today? A thread you can use wherever. A thread will be what you, what the designer needs it to be. But the camel walks around saying, I'm going to need a lot of water today. I need a lot of food today. Camel people have a lot of needs. Camel people need a lot of room. Camel people have a lot of requirements. Thread people can be used anywhere. And thread kinds of people are helpful. Church, humble people are helpful people. They're just helpful. They want to be able, they know they were helped by God, and they know in light of God's mercy and in light of his grace, they want to be used in the kingdom of God. One of the first keys to unlocking your gifts is to think of yourself accurately in light of the gospel, in light of the grace of God. And actually to shrink down and be open to what God is calling you to do. Some of you are not unlocked and unleashed in what God is calling you to do because you have too many requirements to be able to just go and try and be a part of whatever God is saying to do. And I believe God's calling you to be more like that thread and less like that camel. The second thing is faith. He says you... You have to remember to not think of yourself too highly, but he moves on and he says, but to think with sober judgment, each according to the measure of faith that God has assigned. Now, when he talks about a measure of faith, he's not talking about faith that is entry into the kingdom of God, but he's talking about faith that calls you to step out and do great things for God. And what he says is not only do you have a gift that God has given you, but he has given each of us a unique measure. That word measure is literally measurement of faith. Each of us has a unique measurement of faith that is different 
from other people. People have told me, I could never move my family up to New York. That's right. God has given me a measurement of faith that he has not given you. There are things that I would never do that God has called you to do because he's given you not only a unique gift, but a unique measurement of faith. Does that make sense? So it is with that in mind that you cannot look at not only other people's gifts, you cannot look at how they're stepping out because God might be calling you to step out more than other people. I want, to think, I want you to think about the, the imagery of Peter in the boat and the story in Matthew 14. I want you to think about it just for a second. Peter answered Jesus and says, Lord, if it's you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, come. And so Peter goes out of the boat, walks on the water, comes to Jesus. But, amen. 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 Thank you, Lord. I hear you. Verse 30. But when he saw, but when he saw, wow, amen. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Now look what he says in verse 31. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying, What did he say to him? Oh, you of little what? Faith. Why did you doubt? And we be killing Peter because of this, right? We'd be like, look at Peter, yo, you should have, you know what I'm saying? You should have kept your eyes on, if it was me, I'd have kept my eyes on the Lord. <laughs> look at you sinking, Peter. Right? So we, we take this and we have whole sermons dedicated to Peter's lack of faith. While he was trying to walk on water. Like we missed that part. Like he was trying to walk on water. And this is what we miss. He was called a man of little faith, right? Y'all getting that? Y'all see that? Look, verse 32. And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those who were where? In the boat. Do you notice that Jesus never said anything about their faith? Why did he call the man to step out having little faith? Because Jesus was not talking about the same measurement of faith. The people in the boat had a different measurement of faith. The one that stepped out had a different measurement of faith. What he was saying is, Peter, you're going to have to trust me a lot more for the rest of your life. As he sinks, he says, little faith, even though his faith was much greater than the people in the boat. That means you cannot, that means some of you will have to take risks and you cannot look at other people's risks. You cannot think about people who are living in safety as he's called you to take great risks. Oh, I, I would never do that. Of course they would never do that. God has not given them that. But he gave you a measurement of faith. So there are impulses, desires, and drives in you that you're like, that sounds crazy. It might sound crazy to them because they're in the boat. But it doesn't sound crazy to you if you listen to his voice. His voice is saying, step out on the water. Their voice is saying, stay in the boat. So you have to operate by the measure of faith that God has given you. That's why some of you have not unlocked and unleashed the great things God has called you to do. Because you're looking at people who are living in safety. While he has called you to try. To try. To step out. So... One of the things we get lost in when we talk about gifts is we talk about the quantity of gifts. We say, that person's so gifted, the quantity of gifts. But this is about the quantity of faith, 
the amount of faith that God has actually established in you. And so that means you will have to step out in ways that others don't. Lastly, if you jump down to Romans 12 and 9, he briefly mentions that love, let love be genuine. So the first thing we said was humility. The second thing we said, the second thing we said was faith. And the third thing is love. And he says, let love be genuine. The word there for genuine, the other versions have let love be without hypocrisy. Let love be sincere. One version says, don't pretend to love people. Paul, the apostle, will jump over in 1 Corinthians. Paul, the apostle, unpacks this imagery of how hard it is to love people. In 1 Corinthians 13, he says, If I speak in the tongues of men and of angels but have not love, I am a noisy gong or clanging cymbal. And if I have prophetic powers and understand all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have all faith so as to move mountains but have not love, I am nothing. If I give all I have away and I deliver my body to be burned but have not love, I gain nothing. Now, I want you to understand what Paul said at the end there. Paul said, there is a chance that you could be radically enthusiastic about Jesus Christ to the point of martyrdom, and you put your body to be burned, and you might not be a loving person. Now, I just want you to sit with that just for a second. Enthusiasm for Jesus does not lead to love to people. That does not mean you're a loving person. And that's what he's saying. He's saying that we're making a big deal about tongues, but do you love people? Oh, you give money, but do you love people? You have great faith. He literally said some of you have great faith in God, but you don't love people. The problem of unlocking, unleashing your gifts is it's harder. He literally is saying it's harder to love people than be a martyr (laughs) because you die right then, but you got to love people the next day. That's what he's saying. He's saying you might give up your body to be burned. We have to crucify our flesh to love people, to be patient with people, to think about people rightly, to be kind. That is a move of God, to simply care for people and to not become cynical, to not become hard-hearted. And we make so much conversation about gifts that I believe many of us, honestly, I think the conversation about gifts is not about people dying to love people. I think the conversation about gifts is people dying to have a platform. Amen. It's really, it's really people wanting a platform. And they're, and they're saying, oh, pick me, God. I want to do something to be seen. But I think you really want to be known. And the truth is, this is what he says is the highest measurement of being unleashed in your gifts. Do you think of yourself rightly? Are you stepping out on what God's called you to do? And do you really love people? Now, as we look at that, Paul is then going to shift the conversation, and then he's going to make sure that everyone's in the game. Look what he says in Romans 12, 4 and 5. He says, For as in one body we have many members, and the members do not have all the same function. 
So we, though many, are one body in Christ and individually members of one another. Now, this is the same analogy he uses in 1 Corinthians to say that we all need one another. He uses the imagery of a physical body. And the idea, the idea he's bringing out here is not just that we have a gift, but that it's for people. And more importantly, and this is what I just want to be sensitive to, I realize that our gifts might be used in all types of different places. But one of the things he's clearly saying is our gifts are overwhelmingly intended for the body of Christ. So let me just be clear about that. You might have a dynamic gift you use out in the world, and I want you to keep using it. But what he's saying is we are to serve one another because the imagery of a body is an imagery of interdependence, that we need one another. That's why he uses the imagery of a body that we all have to be dependent on one another. And what he's trying to get at is we can't get to the, to the point where we just say, well, we only need one type of gift. We do worship. We preach. That is not the full extent of what we need to be the full picture of the greater works that God has called us to do. There are all types of gifts, and they're not all seen and up front. That's why he says the body. You literally don't see everything your body does. You see my hands. You don't see my heart, but I need my heart more than my hands. I think about my hand movement. I don't think about my heart. But, I need, I, but, it's, but even though I'm not giving it thought, it's more necessary. So the imagery he says is unseen needs to be valued. We all need to be operating in the gifts. There's a good chance you might be sitting next to someone that God has called you to love and serve. There's a good chance your gifts need to be unlocked and unleashed by just connecting and loving and serving. And what happens is when we only have a few people serving, a few people caring, a few people connecting, we get parts of the body doing things they have no business doing. People operating in gifts they don't have. So my hands look similar to my feet, amen? They look similar, but they don't do the same things. They do radically different things. And you would know that if you saw my feet moving around up in here, and you'd be afraid. And sometimes we have people overwhelmed in our church doing too much because there are other people not in the game. And, and when, the, when the ministry has everyone serving, it lets people operate in the unique ways that God has given them. And when everyone's doing that, we walk, we move, the heart beats, the mouth talks, the mind is shifting and moving things as we are operating in a healthy way. It is unhealthy when one part isn't working. You know, um, some of you are like, well, it's just little old me. Uh, little old me, you know, we heard Mark up here and Pastor James, Pastor, it's just little old me. Have you ever in the middle of the night walked and stubbed your toe? You ever done that? The radical amount of pain that is. And like, I would never show you my toes because I love you, right? <laughs> but I'm just saying, when I stub my toe, in the middle of the night, the kind of yell I want to leave out has such a small part of my body. But the reality is, if it's 
hurting, and if it were to be gone, it would radically affect me. You may feel like you are a little toe kind of person in this space. We're hurting because you're not serving. We're hurting. There's just, a, there's just a fullness that we don't have because you're not involved in the game. So, so that's what he's saying. That's what, that's what he's trying to get at, that we would all be involved. He also says in verse 6, having different gifts that, different, that differ according to the grace that is given to us, let us use them. He's just saying also that we have different gifts. I don't have time to get into all of this, but one of the things that he's, he's getting at is, and this gets into this more in 1 Corinthians, but the problem with talking about gifts is that you have more miraculous gifts. There's gifts of healing and prophecy and, and tongues, and, and people get really hype into those gifts. And then we have other gifts of serving. But he's like, we have different gifts. And I'm, I'm what they call a continuationist. I believe in healing. I believe in miracles. I, believe God. I don't believe everybody has those gifts. But I believe we need to be excited about them. The problem is people who are more into teaching gifts get proud, and people who are more into miraculous gifts get proud. And then we want everybody to do what the other person is doing instead of celebrating both. I was at a, I was a, back in the day, I used to play basketball in the mornings, and we used to do a Bible study beforehand. And so we did this Bible study, and I was one of the teachers of it. And then we'd hoop after, right? So we're playing basketball, and um, one of the guys gets hurt. So I run over to him, and I'm like, hey, go, go, you know, this is at the YMCA. I'm like, go, go get the medic. Go get the person at the front desk. And he's literally down there like, ah, oh, oh, man. Ah, and I'm like, oh, man, okay, come on. And he's like, yo, yo. I'm like, what's up? He's like, pray for my healing dog. I was like, no, 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 no doubt, no doubt, no doubt. Uh, father, you know, and I was just like, and yo, I want, I prayed the most sincere healing prayer. And as I saw his foot swelling up, I was like, I don't know if I'm effective at this. <laughs> but you could tell he was getting frustrated. He was like, you should be doing this. I'm like, I'm just doing me, dog. I just led the Bible study like 10 minutes ago. That's what I do. You know what I'm saying? And so we, we create a hierarchy of gifts that Jesus didn't create. So what he's talking about is the differences of gifts. So look in verse 6. He says, if prophecy in the proportion of your faith. And when he's talking about prophetic, he's not talking about ne not necessarily future telling, but speaking into situations with from the revealed word of God. And, and sometimes speaking over people, being able to discern things for people's lives, that God has given you that unique gift to speak. And I've had people prophetically speak over me. I've had people say crazy things over me that I don't ever want to hear them say again. But I've had people prophetically speak over me, and I believe that that is a gift. And if God has given you your gift, I pray you're unleashed in your gift. He says, in your service. Look at this in verse 7. There's literally a gift of serving. Isn't that awesome? And there's another version of it in 1 Corinthians, a gift of helps. Let me just say this. There are some of you that you don't have a gift that's dominant. You just like to help people. That's a gift. Sometimes people think, I don't have a gift because you don't have this thing that you, this one thing you do. But maybe you just like to see things get accomplished. You might have a gift of serving where you like to just help and be involved with bringing people along. Verse 7, if it's teaching, then teach. 
You have the ability to explain things. Maybe you won't preach up here. Maybe you won't lead a Bible study, but God has called you to be able to explain the word of God in a way where people understand it better when you're done. If, it, if it's exhortation, then exhort. And this is a little bit different than teaching. You've got to understand exhortation. The word here is the same way we would talk about encouragement. So this is not necessarily someone who teaches in a way that you break down the Greek and the Hebrew. You're able to speak into people's lives from the word of God in a way that they feel loved after. You have a caring gift. You make people feel warm and welcome. The one who contributes, verse 8, the one who contributes in, in, uh, the one who contributes in generosity. Many people interpret this financially, and I believe there's a, there's a sense in which that's what it's saying, that some of you have a, a desire to give in generosity. But I think this is in all things. Some of you have the, a great capacity just to give financially, um, with care. And he's saying, continue to be generous. He's saying the one who leads with zeal. Other versions say with diligence. It says, the one with acts of mercy, with cheerfulness. Do you, here's what the rhythm of what he's saying is. If God has called you to do something, do it and keep doing it. Notice when he says, if you've got a gift of giving, do it with generosity. He's saying there comes a point where you get tired of using your gift. There's a point you get tired of leading. There's a point where you get tired of teaching. There's a point where you get tired of exhorting. And he's saying, continue in faith and humility and in love, if he's given you a gift, use it. Now, shameless plug here, amen? We clearly, we're not a space where we have every gift that someone's going to exercise with a team. But I believe that you're called to people. And what we use on our teams is we have a space where you can just be involved with people, helping people walk through the door, helping our sound, helping with us with the cameras. That's just getting involved with people. If you are not in the game, I want to encourage you to text SERVE to 55444. Just text the word SERVE to 55444. Some of you are saying, well, how do I discover my gifts? And I, I want to leave you with two thoughts. I, I, I think this is a very helpful diagram here, ability, affinity, and affirmation. Affinity, what are you drawn to? Ability, what are the things that people have always said you're good at? Or are you good at? And then lastly, affirmation, what are people always saying? And let me just, if I could put next to affinity, if I could put a slash next to it, I would put anger. Because sometimes people don't know what they're good at, but what do you complain about? <laughs> you know what we need? That's your gift right there. <laughs> we need some more. Oh, stop right there. Welcome to your gift. <laughs> but what I want to encourage you with is We put so much emphasis on finding your gift and not enough on loving people. You could spend your whole life trying to discover who you are and discover your gifts and not engage people. 
But if you spend your life loving and caring for people, you'll discover your gifts. If you spend your time with people, caring for people, you will discover your gifts. And so what's, what's, what has you on a leash is a lack of humility. What has you on a leash is a lack of faith. What has you on a leash is a lack of love. And there's things you would do, but there's, it's pulling you back. And your lack of faith pulls you back. And I did not grow up in New York City, but I one day went to a dog park. And I was like, what is this? What is a park for dogs? And boy, those jokers were having such a good time. I mean, they did, you know, they're on the ground and they like, they're like a gang, you know, they all just coming up like, what's your name? It's like, and it felt like a little bit like a club, like, you know, they were kind of like all going to the corner. But this is what it was. It was them unleashed. And everybody was just doing what they would do if they didn't have a leash on. If they didn't have a leash, they would be just playing. But some, if they didn't have a leash, they'd be running. As if they didn't have a leash, they'd be fighting. What it is is that there's something they would naturally do, but every day they're on a leash. And they go to this environment to not have a leash on. And I'm saying that if you step into humility, if you step into love, if you truly, truly step in to your faith, you will be unleashed. And I'm not saying that it'll be happier or easier. But I wonder, just this with this question, how many of you truly want to be used by the living God? We hope today's message was encouraging for you. We'd also love to hear how God used this message to speak to you. We hear from people all across the country about what God is doing through our podcast, and we'd love to hear from you. You can email us at info at bridgechurchnyc.com. You can also find us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle for both of those social media outlets is at BridgeChurchNYC. Our website is BridgeChurchNYC.com. If you're in the New York City area, we have services at 4 p.m. and 6 p.m. on Sundays at 98 Fifth Avenue in Brooklyn, New York, right next to the Barclay Center. We are praying for you and we hope to see you soon.